Anyway, uh, it's good to see you here. We get to see so many people that, that we uh, rarely get to see. It's so good to see some of you here. Um, and please pray that uh, uh, the folks who are traveling, and they are many, would enjoy the time with uh, family or wherever they are. I have the great pleasure. I just want to introduce um, some of my family uh, that is here from Dallas. Um, God did not give me a brother, so he gave me Craig, Sheree's uh, brother. Uh, it's the distinguished man sitting next to her. They look alike. Yeah. And his wife, Max, and Connor, they're about to rename uh, the Crested Butte Mountain after him because he's just tearing it up. Emily is their daughter, and she's helping Quince out in the nursery. Beautiful. Tommy's here. So I'm preaching happy, you know. So uh, I hope you are too. This is week three of our Speak Life series. Uh, If you haven't had a chance to be with us for week one and two, I'd encourage you, check out the podcast Uh, God just has some wonderful truths about things that need, that he wants to speak into our lives through scripture, through his Holy Spirit, so that we are so overflowing with these things that that he just pours them out into uh, and through our lives and into other people. And the first one we saw was that speak life. We did sort of an overview. And this was that that God, since the beginning in Genesis 1, he spoke life as he spoke creation into existence. Genesis 3, the enemy, Satan, speaks death. And since then, we have the opportunity, we have the choice every time we open our mouths to either speak life or speak death. And, and this is one of the core verses that's going to carry us all the way through speak life. It comes from Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. Here it is. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, be it pierced or not pierced. And those who love it will eat its fruits. What does this mean? What does this mean? It means that the person who made up the phrase sticks and stones, etc., 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 was a liar. That the sticks and stones are not the things necessarily we need to worry about, but the tongue and words uh, that they can have the power to speak life or speak death. And then we talked about speaking in light of the revel- uh, of the resurrection. So. Check that out. Week one, week two, we talked about speaking love and that God is love and that if we allow Jesus to speak love into us in the deepest ways that we can speak love and, 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 and just let him love others through us. We can do that three ways. We said we could love extravagantly, that we love others who least deserve it and least expect it because that's how God loved us. We said we could love expensively, costly love that costs us everything, all our stuff, all our time, all our energy, our very lives as Jesus loved us. And then the third way is that we could love endlessly, love that goes the distance, love that does not give up. We saw in Romans that things past nor things to come would ever separate us from the love of Christ. And if that love is in us, he can pour that through and we never give up. Not in our marriages, not in our friendships, not in our work, not in our families. We can have the love that endures. Okay? So that's where we are. And today we're speaking forgiveness. Speaking forgiveness. This is a, this is a heavy issue. This is a big issue. 
We're talking about speaking forgiveness and seeking forgiveness for ourselves, from each other, and from God, and granting forgiveness to others. And so this is absolutely relevant to every one of us. This is a crucial life element. This is so important. Why? Because at the core of the destiny of every human relationship that you and I have is the ability to seek or not seek, grant or not grant forgiveness. Every human relationship that you and I have hinges in part on our willingness, on our ability to seek or not seek forgiveness, grant or not grant forgiveness. And that goes for whether you're a husband, a wife, a child with parents, brothers, sisters, friends, co-workers, everyone, and our relationship with God. So very important, very important. So we're going to jump into the scripture Open your Bibles, if you have them, to Matthew chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, um, we have some tucked under the seats in front of you. Uh, You feel free to use that during this time. If you don't have one, that's our gift to you. Take that home with you. Put your name in it. Read it a lot. It will change your life. It will give you life. We want one in every heart and every hand and every home. So, Matthew 18 is where we are today. We're going to pick it up. In uh, verse 21, I want to pray real quick. Um, Lord, this is your word. Um, This is your voice. This is your truth for your people. And uh, I want to get out of the way. Um, Lord, I ask for your forgiveness for my sins, and I wish they were not so many. Um, Lord, um, be big in this place. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Speak to us with the word that cuts through to the deepest parts of our hearts and minds. Lord, change us, me included, so that we can see you and respond to you, love you and love others in the way that brings you great glory and us great joy. Uh, In your son Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Okay, so here we go. Um, rather than read it, it's a, it's, a, it's a parable for the most part. We're just going to unpack it as we go through. So um, Mark 18, picking it up in verse 21. Here we go. Then Peter came up and said to him, and, and anytime Peter shows up, you, you know, just not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Uh, blessed guy, great guy. So here's what's going to happen. He has a question for Jesus, verse 21. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Now, at this point in Peter's life, not, not a very complicated guy, okay? He is asking a question. He has somebody specific in mind. There's somebody who is grating on his nerves, who is sinning against him. And essentially, uh, what I believe Peter is saying is, when do I get to take this guy out behind the temple and open up a can of whoop on him? You know, how many more times are we gonna go through this very same thing? And so, you know, what, what Peter is, is saying without saying it is, Jesus, look, I'm not telling you how to be God, but everything has its limits. Let's just set some boundaries here because I know this guy. 
And if word gets out that there's no limit to this forgiveness, he's just going to keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And how long do I have to put up with this? Because if word gets out that forgiveness has no limit, there'll be anarchy. And you don't want that. So what do you think? And then he offers this idea. What do you think, Jesus? I'm going to just throw this out there for you. As many as seven times? Now, for, for us, he, this is not just arbitrary. You see, being a Jew in that time, the understanding, the cultural understanding was to show that you had a forgiving spirit, that if somebody did this same sin against you, you were to forgive them three times. It's kind of like a, a three strikes and you're out, right? Um, I don't know if foul balls count as strikes. Probably to the Baptist Jews, they did. Okay, I'm kidding. Save the emails, okay? But it's a three strikes, you're out. Peter doubles it and adds one. What do you think? Seven. That's like well, the number of perfection. How about seven times? Six he's being generous. Okay, what does Jesus say? I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. It's unlimited. What he's saying is, don't keep score. Don't keep score. You got like this check mark, you got this ledger. You're not gonna keep score 70 times seven. But you know, if Peter's there, um, in the Gospels, when you see Jesus' closest friends, the disciples, it's like adventures in missing the point. Um, and I think that's the way it is there because it gives us hope. People who are like that. So you see Peter who is, and we know, we know he's a fisherman, and, and I'm not knocking fishermen out there, but if he was that bright, he'd been in rabbinical school, right? So he's sitting there and going 70 times 7 um, four, carry, carry the nine, or no, carry the four, and, and I'm never going to get to whoop on this guy. I'm never going to get to. And he's trying to figure it out. It's like 490, and he's trying to figure out how he's going to. And Jesus is seeing his little fisherman brain about to explode. He says, okay, Peter, let me tell you a story. And Jesus tells a somewhat shocking story, really, about he himself, Jesus, about Peter and about you and about me. So here's how he's going to do it. This is not a bedtime story, so stay with me. Verse 23, Jesus says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Okay, so we have the kingdom of heaven and we have a king who who are we talking about? Who's the king? Come on, help me out. Jesus, right. I try to throw you these lobs. Yes, Jesus, it's great. Verse 24, when he began to settle, one, one guy was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, this is shocking. If Peter and the boys were sitting around listening to Jesus, sipping on Diet Coke at this moment and had some in their mouth, they would have spit it out and spewed it all over each other. That's shocking, 10,000 talents. 
And I know you're sitting here thinking, he's drinking Diet Coke. And that's a shorter bottle than he usually drinks out of. Maybe it'll be a shorter message. <laughs> you're really going to go with that? Really? Okay, here's the shocking part. 10,000 talents. We hear talents. So what is this guy going to pay him back with? What, he can't play the piano anymore? Or he can't hit a jump shot from the baseline? Or if, in my case, he won't be able to break dance really well anymore? No, that's not what a talent is. A talent, as, as some of you know, is a measurement of money. But what you may not know is that it's an awful lot of money in that time. If, if you were a laborer, as many of them were in that society, a talent would be roughly the amount of money you would earn in 20 years. Okay? So for a laborer, for a day laborer, for an hourly laborer, this would be about $600,000. He doesn't only owe one talent. He owes 10,000 talents. This is $6 billion. $6 billion. I don't even know if I wrote that number out if I get it right. It's a lot of zeros. Six billion dollars. That's why it's shocking. We're not told how he got in this kind of debt. Maybe he invested in Gunnison real estate. Maybe he bet on the Broncos. We don't know. But it is severe. It is crushing. It is a number that, that we can't even imagine. Absolutely impossible for him to pay back. Verse 25, what happens? And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Now this sounds harsh, but this is within the law, okay? This was within the law. If you could not pay, your property was seized this is the part that doesn't make much sense to me. You were put in jail and then told to pay back the debt. Okay, so even if, even if this guy's stuff is sold, his wife is sold, even if his wife is like Heidi Klum, okay? Not that, I just don't want to use my wife as a sermon example anymore. Even if she's that, even if his kids are brilliant, great athletes, good skin, no need for braces. He's not going to get that kind of money. There's no way he is ever going to pay off the debt. And so what does he do? So the servant, verse 26, fell on his knees, imploring him. Remember these words. We're going to see him again. Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. How stupid is that? Not the asking for mercy part. The part that says, I'll pay you everything. There's no possible way. There's no way. There's no way. So verse 27, the king's got a decision to make. Now to pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. This 
is huge. Six billion dollars you owe. I'm going to have mercy. You're free. Go. And so this is great. The same servant went out, and, and it just says went out. So far, so good. You know, the story is happy. It's about to turn south. Just watch. And I think he's skipping because mercy is good. Forgiveness is good. Being set free is great. And he's overjoyed. He had this crushing, devastating debt and is now released, not because he deserved it, not because he earned it, but because of the mercy of the king. And he's free. And he goes out. And what does he do? Well, that's on the other page. Okay. When that same servant went out, verse 28, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Okay, this is not, as some tell you, like the cost of a happy meal. This is more than that. This is significant. This is about what a denarii is what a day laborer would earn in a day. Uh, he owned a hundred. So this is significant. This might be around $12,000. And he finds him. And uh, what does he do? He goes up and he seizes him and he began to choke him. Before he even says anything, he comes up and he throttles the guy, right? And he says, pay what you owe. So his servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience on me and I will repay you. Where do we hear this? Just a moment ago, this was the same guy's words, but he forgot. So verse 30, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They went and reported to their master all that had taken place. This is tattling, okay? The Bible doesn't, uh, doesn't say that that's okay. It's just, you know, really, if the king is Jesus, he already knew. Right, because he knows everything. He's there. And his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. Now that's not a, a word that the Bible, that God throws around. When he says wicked, he is talking about the core, the heart of this man. That there is no good inside him. That there is no godliness inside of you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all this debt. Do you see what just happened? That which we thought was forgiven was not forgiven. Why? Because it was not received fully by the one who was forgiven it. So the debt which he thought he'd been freed from is now placed back on him and he's thrown into jail until he should pay all his debt. And we already understand that he can't do that no matter how much time he's given. So this is a symbol of eternal bondage until he should pay all his debt. Now Jesus is done with the story and he adds one thing that if we seriously look at it, should make our blood run cold. It's shocking, 
for those of us who have walked with Jesus for a long time, we may wish this was not in Scripture. For those of you who are just checking out the claims of Jesus, this may seem harsh. Here's what he says. Just so you don't miss the point. Verse 35. And also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you. And he's talking to his closest friends, those who are sure that they're in good with him. Okay? So to us church folk, this should make our ears perk up. And so my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Wow. That's, that's heavy. That's shocking. If we insist on holding on to an unforgiving spirit, we forfeit Jesus, we forfeit forgiveness, we forfeit heaven. Now, we're going to straighten this out. So, like, if you, if you know Scripture, your head, is, your head is going now, and you're saying, well, is forgiveness um, a work? Because if it is, then you're saying that we can earn our salvation. We can somehow do something that warrants Salvation, And that is not true. The question Jesus asks is the slate that's in your heart that keeps record of the people who have hurt you that you have a right to be angry at, that you have a right to want to seek revenge. That ledger, that slate, is it clean? Because if it's not, there's serious question as to whether or not you've ever received my forgiveness. The mark of the forgiven is forgiveness. The mark of the completely forgiven by Jesus is complete forgiveness for others. There is a zero-tolerance policy in heaven for unforgiveness. Zero tolerance. Jesus' work on the cross cleanses us from all sin. Jesus' work through the cross allows us to forgive all sin. And I want you to say, it's not a work that helps us deserve or earn salvation. It is the mark of those who have received forgiveness and salvation. Okay? Let's assign parts within the story because we, we don't want, God does not want this to happen to anybody. So here we go. The king. The king is, we said, the king is Jesus, right? Who's the guy who gets choked at the end? This is the guy, this is the man, this is the woman that you need to forgive. Okay? Whoever that is. Who I need to forgive. Okay. The dude who owes $6 billion, who's that? 
That's me. That's you. You say, wait a minute. I can identify a little bit, but $6 billion owing, having that kind of debt. And the thing is, we, if we distance ourselves from that, it's because we think of it in financial terms. Because in financial terms, imagine you had a credit card that had absolutely no limit on it, right? But it's an American Express, right? Had no limit on it. You go out and you buy all these things. You have a $25,000 smart home with every imaginable technology, amenity. You have, if you're a woman, uh, a 1,000 square foot closet with 500 pairs of Jimmy Choo's in every color. I don't understand why that would be your fantasy, but for some of you, it is, and you need to repent of that. For guys, you got like every power tool. You got kinds of TVs and all that stuff. You get the man cave. It's actual cave. It's, it's very cool. And you have like a, a 50 car garage and it's filled with Maseratis and, and uh, Lamborghinis and Rolls Royces and whatever else you got. And you haven't even started to scratch the surface. Do you understand? Because 30 days later, when you get the bill and you're unemployed and you have no way of paying for this, you've lived 30 days on this but now it's due. Can you imagine the crushing debt? That's still only scratching the surface of what this guy owes. So you say, how can I relate to that? Because maybe Jesus isn't talking about money. Maybe Jesus is talking about racking up spiritual debt. And in that sense, it is very important that you and I... um, understand exactly um, what the Bible says about that. It says that if we offended one point of the law, we have offended in all of it. If you break one of the ten, you've broken them all. If you err in one way, you break all of God's laws. And that the payment for that is death. Um, Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So God created us in a beautiful way to live under his rule and his reign and has a perfect plan for us. And, And since our first Parents sinned, and we by nature and choice have have chosen to follow them, and we we tend to compare each other. You say, well, you know, I'm I'm not as good as as Brad, but heck, I'm better than Mark. Okay, I'm not, but you know. It is a comparison game, isn't it? Yeah, but we're picking the wrong comparison. I'm more like Brad and I'm more like Mark than I am like Jesus. And that's the question. Every sin requires that there be the shedding of blood to have that washed away. And we die three ways, physically and spiritually now. The life gets sucked out of us even from things that we should enjoy, that we should be alive to, that we should be Um, experiencing as God uh, intended for us to experience. The second is that we die executionally, that 
that there needs to be a death, a beheading, a, a cessation of breath, that the very life needs to be snuffed out, that that's what sin accomplishes. And the third is the life that we have spiritually now and forever with Jesus. Um, that's the death, and Jesus knows that he can't have sin in his perfect presence and, and, and heaven um, because he's holy, and yet he wants us home. So somebody has to bleed and somebody has to die. And who is it going to be? And he raises his hand and he says, me. I'll do it. I love them and I want them home and free. So we not only owe God $6 billion, we owe God Jesus and he has come, and the incredible good news is it's paid for. You're free. I destroyed the check, the debt, the slate is clean, the ledger is zeroed out because of my faithfulness. The Bible says, and we sang, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. That's what the king has said. That's what the king has said. And that's the greatest good news. uh, Romans 6.23, here it is. Let's say it together. Let's say it together because this is this in a nutshell. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the good news and that some of us have received the good news. And everybody is, is, is invited to receive the good news, but we're not only to be recipients of it, we're to be agents of it. Right, And so here's the problem. But we live in, in, a, in a world where people are going to hurt us, where people are going to get on our nerves, where people are going to sin against us, break our hearts, stab us in the back. You name it. And what are we going to do? Are we going to be agents of that good news, which shows that we've truly received it, or are we going to be agents of the bad news? Here's how ridiculous it looks. We cling to the cross because it's our only hope. And then we deny the very forgiveness that the cross provides us. We're going to follow you, Jesus. Jesus is about forgiving and setting free. Somebody needs to be forgiven and setting free. Forget it. You do that, we're going to become a doormat. When you look at it that way, it really is pretty ridiculous. But it is the greatest hidden sin of the church. Why? Because you don't know. You don't know about me. You don't know what I'm holding. You might get glimpses of it. Somebody who hurt me when I was a child. Somebody who hurt me today, yesterday. I can bury it, you know? I mean, think about it. Isn't this, isn't this how we work? The world's a big place. Your school's a big place. Your city's a big place. Why resolve conflict? Why forgive when you can just cut and run? I mean, right, you can get new friends. You can move out of town. You can get a new spouse. You can get a different church. 
What does that do, though? It buries unforgiveness. And Jesus is very, very interested in having us set free as we have been set free. Here's one of the problems. It's pride. We, if you're anything like me, would rather be right than be reconciled. We would rather be right than be merciful. If I'm merciful, I don't get to stand on being right. If I insist on being right, I don't get to be reconciled. Here's why it's so serious. Because our unforgiveness of one another mocks the cross of Christ. Because Christ not only came and died and rose again to reconcile us with God, but the second and more ignored part of the gospel is to reconcile us with each other. Not just the people in our immediate family, not just the people in our neighborhood. Not, here's the, here's the mind-blowing thing. Not just the people in our town, not just the people in our college, but the people of all races and all tribes and all tongues and all religions. It is to reconcile everyone to God and everyone to each other. So when we only get this part, he does his job really well. And when we get this part, he pours into us this unwillingness to live with unforgiveness in any way. And if we can live with unforgiveness, it raises serious questions about the Jesus that we follow, whether he's real or imaginary. And let there be no question. Forgiveness does the miraculous. It turns the thing that kills us, sin, into the thing that gives us life, regeneration, restoration, reconciliation. It allows us to participate in the gospel work, the cross work, the redeeming work of Christ in the deepest, most meaningful way. It is painful to do, but the sweetness is indescribable. We had an episode in our house this week where we had to go to places that really, really hurt. But afterward, the joy is lasting and beautiful and strong. And that's what we need to do. But we play some games. Let me real quickly and then I'll let you go. We play some games. Let's bring up that last sentence of Jesus it's uh, verse 35, Ryan, if you can find that. Jesus said, So also my heavenly Father will do to you what the king did to this guy. He threw him in jail, sold him everything. If you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So we, here, he stopped there. He didn't say, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. If when he said he was sorry, he really meant it. I mean, how many times do people come and ask for forgiveness? You don't really mean it. You don't. Do you think like there's, a, there's like a, a panel in heaven, like the uh, American Idol? You got the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let's see. What do you think? Did he mean it? Did she mean it? Hmm. I don't know. 
We're kind of torn. Let's let the Old Testament saints text in their votes. No. It doesn't say anything about whether you, in your estimation, think he or she meant it. The burden is on the forgiver. He says, do you mean it? When you offer the forgiveness, that's the question. Not how sincere they were in begging for your forgiveness, but how sincere were you in granting it in the deepest ways? He didn't say, unless you forgive your brother from your heart, as long as you don't think they're going to do it again. You're not sorry. You're just going to do it again and again and again. You're in the spiral, really. And if you think, I'm going, it's over. If you think, I'm going to put up with this. That's exactly what Peter was saying. What if Jesus said that? Raise your hand if you do not offend him in some of the same ways day after day after day after day. If you don't do that, raise your hand. Who's willing to lie in church? What if Jesus took this thing, right? Doesn't our very hope, doesn't our very existence depend on a Savior who says, you can't find the end of my grace. You can't find the end of my mercy. You can't disqualify yourself from my blood, from my forgiveness, from my restoration. That's the faith. That's the gospel. Because each time he forgives, we come closer to the heart of the one who's doing the forgiving. And we die to that appetite to sin again and again. And we're brought alive to the desire to please him and let him live through us. So it doesn't continue on and on and on. Because with every transaction, we are made alive in a special and new way. And he's drawing us closer to change our appetites from loving sin to loving him. You get it? So if they're going to do it again, you're going to forgive again. How many times do you have to forgive? Don't keep a record. Okay, it just needs to be at least one more time than the sin's going to be committed. Your grace just needs to be bigger than the sin because his is. And if he lives in you, then nothing else will do. Okay, finally, because they don't deserve it. Unless you forgive your brother from your heart, as long as they deserve it. He didn't say that. Why? Because you and I don't. While we were at our worst, Christ loves us the best. If we only forgive, God bless you. If we only forgive those who deserve it, it's not forgiveness. It's something they're owed. <laughs> forgiveness is for the undeserving and the ill-deserving. And if there wasn't forgiveness for the undeserving, I wouldn't be forgiven. And neither would you. So our forgiveness needs to be without question without limit, without deserving, without requirement that we don't get wounded in the same way again. Say, I can't do that. You're right. You can't. There's no hope on your own. Tremendous hope with Jesus. Only he forgives that way. So our only hope is to be forgiven by him in such a way that it flows out of us and we can't imagine not setting people free in the way that we've been set free. The crux of our faith, our marriages, our parenting, our friendships, hinges on this. John Bunyan, who wrote um, Pilgrim's Progress, also wrote a poem 
I want to share it with you. He wrote, Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. Unforgiveness tethers us down when the gospel calls us to fly. I want every person here, me included, to fly with Jesus on the wings of mercy and grace and forgiveness, not just received, but shared. So we have a group of people here, some who need to experience Jesus' forgiveness in the deepest way. See, when the king forgave the debtor, he not only forgave the $6 billion, he forgave the sinful way that the debtor looked at debt, looked at sin as an opportunity to show mercy. Some of us need to do business with God there again or for the first time because we want to be deeply and repetitively repentant people because it's the most beautiful thing and it's our only hope. The gospel is very true, 100% dependent on the mercy of God. And you can be in this church and you can come to this church and you can go to every Bible study and every small group and every service and every prayer meeting and the orthodoxy thing, but unless you are a deeply and repetitively repentant person, it will do you absolutely no good. You will become an overeducated, hard-hearted person who thinks he's in the kingdom and is not. That's what's before us. So as we have our response time, do business with God. Let him forgive you deeply. By repenting deeply, it's a beautiful thing. And let us release those that we've held hostage and held in bondage. Let us release them in forgiveness. And let us fly. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Lord, do in us what only you can do. You reveal the debt. But every time that you reveal the debt that we owe, you reveal the price that you pay. And so, Lord, we come to this point more wrecked than we ever imagined and more loved than we ever dreamed. And you offer to set us free once again in ways that we neither understand nor can really wrap our minds around and we just want to receive it. But your forgiveness is not a one-way street. We want to be so mindful of your forgiveness that it comes out in every relationship. And Lord, so we don't go through life with clenched hands and clenched hearts. We want to, in the power of your spirit, release and forgive. Lord, bring to mind the people that we're still holding, holding their debt. Right now, in the deepest parts of our hearts, let us open our hands set them free.
just as you set us free. We're going to sing. We're going to pray. This altar is open if you want to do business with God, with your own forgiveness or the forgiveness that he's calling you to offer to others. I'll be here. Bistro's here. Alita's here. Matt will be here. We can pray with you if, you if you'd like. Use this time. It's that important. Your relationships in life with others and with God hinges on it. Get it right. Jesus wants you to get it right. There's grace and mercy and forgiveness enough here for you. More than enough. Enough for everybody. Let's celebrate that now. Thank you.